Good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Random Trek. Red alert, red alert, we've got a battle with the Gorn for a second week in the row. I am your faithful and fearless, with my shirt still on, Captain Christopher Engel. Joined as always by my trusty, logical first officer, Brennan, the mystical mob. Brennan, how we doing for a second week in a row with the Gorn? It's good stuff, though. I mean, building a cannon out of bamboo, that's clever thinking. <laughs> We're going to talk about that cannon. Oh, we are talking about that oh, cannon. Yes. But mm-hmm. We are not alone today. Anytime we go to the realm of TOS in one of the classic seminal episodes, we've got to bring back the president of the Federation himself. That's right. It's Mr. Movie Mance himself. Scott Mance, everybody. Welcome, Scott. Thank you so much for having me back here on Random Trek, Chris and Brennan. It is always great to talk TOS Trek because TOS is absolutely my jam. I love mm-hmm. the original series. You guys know, I mean, I certainly talked uh, talked about it a whole lot with my pal Steve Morris on Enterprise Incidents. Uh, this was yeah. definitely a conversation about Arena that was uh, one, of, one, of the, one of the good ones. I mean, I don't think we... I don't think we ever had a conversation that wasn't good, even if it was on a an episode that wasn't great. It's always good <laughs> to talk about Star Trek. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, of course, I, I want to hear from you when you first saw it. But as Scott just heard off screen, this last week was the first time I saw this episode. I, 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 I cannot believe my ears. I can't believe my pointed ear, Vulcan ears. <laughs> this is probably the third time for me, so... This is the okay. So Brennan only three times. Chris, this is your first. I must have seen Arena a couple hundred times. <laughs> you mm. know, uh, you know, and also, you know, of course I did because I started watching Star Trek back in the early 1970s uh, when it was on five nights a week. You know, oh, yes. so so between the you know watching it, you know, five times five times a week. So the rotation started over again quite a bit and then i started recording the episodes on my little tape recorder so i you know memorized the dialogue and you know then when the uh when the home entertainment uh, episodes came out in the in the mid 1980s and then of course the dvds and then the blu-rays and now it's on paramount plus so i've had my share of tos i always go back to tos and arena is an episode i always go back to because it's just a damn great episode Mm-hmm. A great episode, a classic episode. That moment when Kirk is whisked off the bridge of the Enterprise, and you know the camera zooms in on Spock, and he raises that eyebrow, and then the cut when the Gorn turns around mm-hmm. is such a great moment, not just in Star Trek, but a great moment in television, like that. Mm-hmm turn around that the Gorn does really fast. And he's like growling like crazy, you know, and Captain Kirk is like standing there going like, what in the universe is going on here? It's an awesome, mm-hmm. awesome moment. And arena, which is a Gene Kuhn written episode, a Gene Kuhn produced episode. As you both know, Gene Kuhn uh, is one of the most important creative mm-hmm. voices in all of Star Trek. Right, Brandon? I mean, you've heard he me talk. Is. I mean, my word, yes. Mm-hmm. And I knew who directed this episode because of the show you were on with, with Steve. Oh, great. Joseph yes, Tesney. Joseph Tesney. 
Joseph Pepney, who directed, uh, I think it was 14 episodes of the original series. Some of the best, too. Some of the best. He did uh, City on the Edge of Forever. I think he did Trouble mm-hmm. with Trolls. Um, but, uh, you know, Joseph Pepney and Mark Daniels tied with directing 14 episodes apiece, making them both uh, uh, having directed the most uh, episodes of, of the original series. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's amazing how much Joseph Pevney uh, really just got the show from the beginning, you know, like what, look at these creative forces here. You know, you got story editor with, uh, with uh, Dorothy Fontana, you know, you have Bob Justman as an associate producer, you have Joseph Pevney directing and Gene Coon producing and writing. I mean, they're like the fab four, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and of course you got Roddenberry still executive producing, but you know, the first half of the first season was, of course, fantastic. You know, that that was the, the part of the season that Roddenberry was the day-to-day line, uh, you know, showrunner. He was the day-to-day producer mm-hmm. on. Um, you know, that got to be too much for him. So he, he stepped back a little as an executive producer. And, you know, they brought in uh, Gene Kuhn. And that's, that's when the show got better. That's, mm-hmm. you know, G- Gene Roddenberry created a really good show. And uh, and uh, Gene Kuhn made it better. A tale of two genes. <laughs> tale of two genes, right? Right, but there's there like you know Gene Kuhn, you know, unless you're like a diehard you know trekker like like we are, you know, a lot of people don't know who Gene Kuhn is because he died in nineteen, uh, I think it was nineteen seventy three. Mm. So uh, yeah, it was July nineteen seventy three that he passed away. So it's been more than fifty years. Spot yeah. on. Spot yep. on. Is that right, uh, Chris? July eighth, nineteen seventy three. All right, come on. Who's the man? Who's the man? <laughs> I think the question is, who's the manse? Who's the manse? <laughs> you know, this is the like, reason he's the president. But there's, there's, there's a, uh, you know, if, if there's anybody who who really did deserve to be around to like see this, you know, the syndication generation of Star Trek turn it into a popular thing, leading to the conventions and the movies and next generation mm-hmm. and so on. It was Gene Kuhn. I mean, he yeah. he just, you know, he wrote Devil in the Dark. He wrote Metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wrote the uh, created the Klingons with Aaron De Mercy. I mm-hmm. mean, this guy was just just the Star Trek's uh, royalty. You know, I, I want to bounce something off you, Scott, and then we'll get into kind of talking about the semantics of the actual episode. Yeah. Last week, Brennan and I re- reviewed Hegemony, which I enjoyed so thoroughly. Uh, and of course, as you know, it's it's really it was the first time we in the new track we've seen a fully adult grown uh, in uh, Gorn in the new style. Yeah, yeah. So what is your overall feeling of this transition and the growth of the Gorn overall as a villainous foil for new track? Well, that is a loaded question, Chris. Mm. <laughs> um, so what I have oh, to boy. say <laughs> overall is that. Star Trek needs to grow and evolve. It can't be the same old, same old. So, you know, as the original series went into next generation, you know, it was still the same model. You have a starship going to planets and, you know, it's the Enterprise. But, you know, Deep Space Nine really shook up, shook things up by being in a stationary uh, space station. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when when we came back now with... Uh, let's say the Kelvin Trek movies, you know, with Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto, mm-hmm. you know, that was, they, they took some liberties there and you either go with it or you don't. Like I remember the first time I saw Star Trek 2009 when 
they destroyed Falcon, you know, and and revealed that Spock and Uhura had a relationship. I was like, wait a minute. And then I was like, okay. Like in a split second, I went from wait a minute, hang on, to like, okay, let's let's go with this because it needs to it needs to evolve. So that brings us to Strange New Worlds, where we have the Gorn, and they are a very different uh I guess antagonist, if you will, than they were when we first saw the Gorn in the original series and even in uh, Enterprise, you know, in Miratarkly. Mm-hmm. Um so so the thing is in Arena, and this this is a broad stroke that that covers the whole episode itself, the 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 Gorn in in Arena, they were defending themselves. They thought we were the bad guys. Mm-hmm. You know, the Federation, you know, that moment on the bridge, you know, when McCoy's like, yeah, could that be true? You know, are we in the wrong? And Spock is like, you know, uh, we're, we're, they were just defending themselves, you know. Uh, so, you know, you're, with the Gorn in the original, in that original episode was not that different from, you know, the Federation. I mean, of course, the Federation would never... Well, at least in in that period, they would never attack uh, uh, an outpost like that. You know, like the the, the Gorn attacks Cestus Three, but they were an intelligent species. They had a starship, you know, and and they were able to do space travel just like just like the Enterprise. Uh, and it was a it was a a misunderstanding, um, and it showed that the Federation isn't always right. But now with Strange New Worlds, you're making the Gorn just the baddie. You know, you're you're stripping away the moral message that came with Arena. Uh, you know, that's something that I had to take a bigger, a deeper breath and go, okay, I get it. Show's gotta be different. It's gotta evolve. It's not the same Gorn that we saw in the original series. You know, one episode, by the way, of the original series. You know, mm-hmm. we didn't see the Gorn again until until Enterprise. Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a long time. Yeah, exactly. 1966, 67, when, uh, yeah. when Arena aired to Mirror Darkly. 67. 67. Wasn't Mirror Darkly, didn't that air in like 2004, 2005? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I think so. Fourth season, yeah. You know, but you know, I overall, I I really do love Strange New Worlds. Uh, it definitely feels like a throwback to TOS. I I love the cast. I love everybody on the cast. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, I think everybody's you know the chemistry, uh, the dynamic is great. You know, Anson and uh, I I I do have to say I have a thing for Christina Chong. Oh, me <laughs> uh, too. She's hot. She's a hot one. Um, but uh, but you know, Celia Rose Gooding is great as Uhura. You know, I love oh, yes. Spock. But yeah. you know, you're you're making the Gorn just a one-dimensional baddie. You're taking away the uh, dynamics of the character of the Gorn in Strange New Worlds. You know, I, I, I had a thought. Oh, I had a thought on it. What if in season three they start to explore the idea that maybe the Gorn are not as bad as we think? Brennan, you are right on the money where I, I was thinking. I mean, thinking. because we don't know at this point. We don't know well, where they're going with And we do story. have a reference from Scotty. We do understand that 
the solar activity from the sun is kind of throwing them into a kind of a biological tizzy. And there's something to that. Okay, I get that. Right now, they're scary. They're dangerous. And the only other perceptions we have uh, in this reference are uh, the episode where we saw Hammer die. We saw how dangerous a baby Goran could be. But also, we have the references from Christina Chong's character. And the things that she's gone through, the PTSD that's going to go with that. So I think that's going to be that juxtaposition that's going to happen. And in the end, I think we are going to discover that the Gorn aren't as bad as we have made out. Are they dangerous? Yes. Klingons were dangerous. Right. right. We're going to discover there's more than just that. Yeah, and Uh, that's a good point because the perspective that we've gotten so far is very one-sided for the characters Mm -hmm. because... Because of what Leon Nooney and Singh experienced. So, yeah, maybe we will get a more fleshed out Gorn. Well, that would be a great thing to see. So all the people who are, you know, uh, more, I guess, uh, irritated with the mm-hmm. it to the Gorn will be like, okay, now, now we're back. Uh, this now, now we're talking with the Gorn. Now, I certainly hope. I certainly hope. Yeah, I, I hope so too. And you know what, Brandon, I'd never. That's something I didn't really consider that season three of, of Strange New Worlds, when we finally see it, you know, the production was delayed for quite a bit because of the act. Yeah, unfortunately. So, yeah, we're we're probably not going to get Strange New Worlds. Unfortunately, World. so in the case of getting Next the year, rights yeah. to the Raiders. Yeah, 2025. Right? So, I mean, I guess it doesn't, I don't mind the delay if the writers get paid more. Mm-hmm. Long time to wait for it to be continued, though. Gotta say, <laughs> you know what? You know the other thing about about season three of Strange New Worlds is this. So you know, season one and season two of Strange New Worlds were produced when the pandemic was was more severe. Yeah, there true. were there were a lot of protocols that they really had to cover to make the show. So a it took longer to do. And B, it also restricted what they could do because they they you know had a lot of you know a lot of a lot of the episodes took place on the Enterprise, which which is fine you know to have a bottle show and whatever. But mm-hmm. but I think season three is really going to you know since I mean obviously COVID is still going on, but it's not as severe as it was. And I think there's a lot a lot of the uh, uh, restrictions are more relaxed where they're 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 going to be able to open up the show more and do things they couldn't do in the first two seasons. But I hope what happens, Brennan and Chris, I hope you guys are right. I hope that they continue to, uh, ev- uh, you know, explore the Gorn more in a way where, where there's, there's, they, they start to see that we have more in common with them than we don't, you know, they're still an aggressive race, because at the beginning of uh, at the beginning of Arena, we find Cestus Three. It's destroyed, and mm-hmm. uh, you know the Gorn didn't even bother like you know contacting them or trying to communicate communicate, which is the key to this episode. To be like, mm-hmm. hey, what are you guys doing here? This is our this is our planet. You know, they just they just attacked them. You know, um, and the Federation didn't know that they were invading. Uh, now, uh, communication is the key to so much of a uh, great Star Trek and communication. Now I think about it is the key to a lot of what Gene Kuhn wrote communications sort of uh, uh, was, was the key element of devil in the dark communicating with the Gorm with Spock's mind meld communication was a key element of metamorphosis. When Kirk is able to talk to the companion with the universal translator and uh, communication at the end and compassion 
when Kirk says, no, I won't kill you. Maybe we could talk, you know, maybe come some, you know, uh, that that's, and that's one of the great Kirk moments is, uh, mm -hmm. he, you know, he, he takes an aggressor, uh, and, and, you know, after the whole episode, he's like pursuing and he's going to fight the guy. And then at the end, he goes, well, I'm not going to kill you. That's what happened at the end of, uh, of Balance of Terror as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was like, I'll be me survivors aboard. And he's like, no, it's not our way. You know, I could have called you friend in a different reality. But, but uh, that, that's, I think that's one of the biggest strengths that makes, makes the classic Star Trek show endure is moments like that, you know, moments where, where we're wrong. Like, look at it. Look at uh, Errant of Mercy, how wrong mm. was about the Klingons. Yeah. And uh, then he, you know, gets a uh, gets gets his uh, you know face slapped by the Organians. So mm -hmm. you know. But anyway, back to Arena. Yeah, how, <laughs> yeah let's get how into important. The... How important is this episode? If you consider what's going on in Israel right now. Great idea. Great, great I mean, point, Brennan. I mean, yep. there's so much we could say, but the point is. Lack of communication is the problem. People exactly. don't want to talk; they want to fight. That's right. You're absolutely right. I mean, uh, the that's a big problem. People they they they, you know, they definitely uh, again communication, which is something that that really would be a big benefit uh, to uh, you know the what's going on with the Israel and Hamas and just you know stop the fighting, stop the killing, but. Uh, that's uh, you know that's I think that's wishful thinking on this part. To piece but Star Trek is very universal in terms of how its lessons can be applied. Yep. Well, I I think that you know when you look at uh, Arena, um, you know this is a a, a, a an also a show, an episode like uh, um, a private little war. Mm -hmm. Another mm -hmm. one where. It's like this gray zone of like, well, you know, what do you do? But in this case, uh, I so a few years ago, I was uh, curating uh, programming at the Smithsonian. I'm uh, not the Smithsonian. I'm sorry, the Skirball Cultural Center in Los Angeles. So I had a couple weekends where I programmed Star Trek marathons. You know, I took mm. my, favorite, my favorite episodes of not just the original show, all the shows, and the second marathon that we did which was the weekend that the exhibition closed in February of 2022, I showed back-to-back. -back, I showed Balance of Terror and then Arena back-to-back. -back. Mm. And a lot of people in the audience were like, what a great double feature, Balance of Terror and Arena. In both cases, you have a Federation outpost as attacked, one by the Romulans, the other by the Gorn. And in both cases, you have Kirk in hot pursuit of the oppressor. And in both cases, you know, Kirk does show compassion at the very end, but mm -hmm. the tone of those episodes are very different. In in Balance of Terror, Kirk is going after the Romulans in a way where he feels burdened by command. You know, he's feeling the burden of command that that great mm -hmm. scene, it's, uh, quarters with McCoy. Whereas in Arena, he is like a man on a mission. And like nothing is going to stop him from getting the Gorn. Mm. And, you know, he snaps at Spock. Uh, he is like single-minded in his pursuit to destroy the Gorn, which is, which is different than it is in Balance of Terror. And I think a big reason for that is because 
you had two different producers calling the shots. You know, Ron mm. produced, uh, he was the day-to-day producer on Balance of Terror. Gene Kuhn was the day-to-day producer on Arena. And one thing I noticed about Star Trek under Kuhn's watch is how much more military it felt. Uh, mm. Kirk was, 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 was more, was more military in his, in his approach to things. Uh, you know, there's that line in Metamorphosis when McCoy says to him, you know, you're, you're a soldier so often you forget that you're also a diplomat. Mm. Try moving a carrot instead of a stick. So you could see that in arena, he's much more, uh, much more, uh, aggressive with pursuing the Gorn, even though he was definitely on a mission to, to pursue the Romulans in, uh, in uh, Balance of Terror. Good point. Well, let's get into the actual episode itself. Um, so uh, this is, I believe, episode 19? Mm-hmm. Or eight, 19? Yeah. Well, 19. if you include, uh, yeah, it's episode 19, if you don't include The Cage, because that's like episode zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, like you said, it was uh, written by Gene Kuhn from a story by Frederick Brown. Uh, it aired on January nineteenth, nineteen sixty seven. It was this the, is what this is why we have Nance on our show. <laughs> it was the eighteenth episode to air. It was filmed between November eighth and November fifteenth, nineteen sixty six. So it was uh, a six day shoot. Pretty it was fast. Yeah, pretty fast. I mean, like imagine filming a show like Star Trek, which had never been done before, in six days. It was mm. the, it was the twentieth episode to film. The total cost for filming Arena. Now, how much do you think it costs to film an episode of Strange New Worlds of Picard? With all the technology and stuff, easily millions. I, w- I yeah. would say probably five, six million an episode. Yeah, no I was going to say like eight million an episode for the newer shows, you know, but five or six, you know, sounds pretty good too. Five or six million a show, let's say, for Strange New Worlds of Picard. Well, the total cost for Arena was $197,586, and it went $12,586 over budget. The visual effects alone from the Westheimer company cost $6,931. I was going to say, did they take that out on the production of the Gorn suit? (laughs) Oh, right, sure. Oh boy! <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I I get it. I accept that it is at the time, but you look at it now and you go, man. <laughs> but uh, let's get into it because I, I want to get into these battle this battle between Kirk and the Gorn. Uh, so Enterprise arrives to Cestus Three, um, invitation of the commanding officer, but they find that the outpost has been absolutely obliterated. Uh, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and uh, well, let's call him Ensign Ricky because we know Ricky. what's going to happen. Uh, they're beamed down, uh, and they're under heavy bombardment. Uh, feels like like mortars or something like that, you know, hitting them. They were never too specific, but it always looked like mortar fire to me. Mm-hmm. Um, they're being attacked uh, from nearby. Two of the security team, basically Ensign Ricky and Ensign other Ricky. Uh, are killed so, in the innocent just to tell you, uh, just to tell you, there. So, Ensign, <laughs> they have names. Okay, yes, Ensign O'Hurley is mm-hmm. the name of the red shirt who's with uh, Kirk and McCoy yeah. uh, and Spock. He's played by Jerry Ayers, and if Ensign O'Hurley looks familiar, you know, so he dies in this episode, but he came back as Ensign Rizzo in the episode Obsession. 
Mm. Uh, the other lieutenant uh, who says, you know, Captain, I see something, you know, and then he like disappears. Oh, no, that's Ensign O'Hurley. Uh, yeah. uh, there's uh, another Ensign in there. Uh, I think it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, Kellowitz, you know, Grant yeah. Wood is also in Galileo 7. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, he had a name. He had a name. <laughs> I never remember, and I, I always think back to the cutaway gag on Family Guy, where they're like, all right, the landing party would be myself, Mr. McCoy, uh, Spock, and Ensign Ricky. And Gag goes, oh, man. <laughs> Bye, Ricky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so the landing party are under attack. Uh, the Enterprise also becomes under attack from, at that point, an unknown vessel, and it prevents the Enterprise from beaming up the landing party. Uh, while on the surface, Kirk finds a grenade launcher from from the outpost uh, and use it to kind of scatter the alien forces that are there. Uh, the alien ship manages to beam up its crew from the surface uh, and retreats. Landing party is beamed back up. This is interesting because I didn't know this. Uh, um, I guess uh, Shatner got a permanent case of tinnitus yes, from the explosions right. that were happening. And I was watching oh, that wow. and I was going... This is dangerous. Like th- they were very close to a lot of the explosions. If you watch the episode, there's a scene where Kirk is like making a run for it, and or and you know Shatner is is in the scene, and there's an explosion, and uh, it throws Shatner off his feet, and you could see, you know, because it's it's him, it's not a stunt guy. You can see that that Shatner is like uh, a little shell shocked for a second there. And I think that must have been the moment when the, he got too close to the explosion. Uh, to the explosion, mm-hmm. and uh, it happened on day four of filming uh, uh, Arena. So yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I guess Nimoy had it too, but Nimoy's eventually went away. Shatner's apparently never really did. Oh, nice! No, Permanent damage. You're like, wow. Yep. Uh, interesting. Dangerous. <laughs> but I, I gotta say, this is a way to start an episode. Like you beam down and you're under attack right away. And there was no relief. I was sitting there going, when are they going to get them out of there? How do we, because again, watching this for the first time, what's going to happen here? What's going on? You know, like, I I love this scene. There's chaos. It's great. The first scene, the first act and the teaser. Okay. First, let's go to the teaser. You know, they're they're on the Enterprise, you know, Kirk and McCoy are having a light moment on the bridge, uh, you know, uh, uh, Rank has his privileges, and mm-hmm. you know, they're like looking for a good uh, meal uh, on Cestus 3. They beam down, they find it destroyed. That is how you do a teaser. At no other show in Star Trek, as much as I love them all, it's the original series, they, made, they did the best teasers. They put so much into those teasers. Like the stakes were so high by just the end of the teaser. Uh, you know, look at the teasers for like, yeah. you know, Stay Machine and and uh City on the Edge of Forever and and definitely Mirror Mirror. That's a great teaser. Mm, oh yeah. Too, but the first act of this <laughs> I think this whole episode uh moves along at a very, very brisk pace. Yeah. It it's an episode I would actually show people who who uh, maybe never really got into Star Trek as as one of the episodes like watch this and you'll like Star Trek. It's funny you mention that because the chaos that we see really uh it reminds me too of the teaser from um from the best of both worlds part 1 when they go. pull away and you see nothing but just a crater of destruction. Mm, that's good like point. Point. good point. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's I think I, they must have been inspired by this. I really do believe that. So I mean, I mean, what a what a way to be like 
Oh my gosh, what's going Whoa. on? That is a great, first of all, I mean, Best of Both Worlds is amazing. Yes, Star uh, Star Trek is best, wow. Chris, that's a great point. I never I never put Arena and Best of Both Worlds together in the sense that just the teasers, they beam down, they find everything destroyed. Uh, but, you know, in, in Best of Both Worlds, the Gorn were were gone. In, uh, in Arena, the Gorn, uh, or, you know, the Best of Both Worlds, the Borg were gone. In Arena, the, the right. Gorn were very much there. Mm-hmm. But still, great point. Mm. So uh, as we go into into the first act here, uh, we find that both the ships are entering this unexplored sector of space uh, and they lose all power. They can't move. Uh, they lose all propulsion. Uh, and the Enterprise is contacted by the Metrons. Uh, again, mm. I, I knew of them. This was cool to finally see where the Metrons yeah, there was, there was a came in. to them in Discovery. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so they guard this area of space from intruders and they say what they're going to do uh, is put the two captains of each ship into a trial by combat one-on-one to the death and the losing captain will die and their ship will be destroyed. All right, There's so, stakes. So those are stakes. But I remember vividly when I saw Arena for the very first time, you know, I must have been like six or seven. I mean, I was mm-hmm. I was a kid. And I remember watching because I had started watching uh I'd started watching Star Trek when it was they, they were showing the second season episodes. Mm-hmm. So you know, my first episode was Mirror Mirror. So, you know, I'm watching like, you know, uh, Trouble with Tribbles. I'm watching Doomsday Machine, you know, really like that's how I got into it. So then it finished the second season, went into the third season, then went back to the first. So when I saw Arena, I'm like, wow, the first like uh, with the battle and the planet, like it's so much action, all these explosions, you know, the end then the they beam up and the Enterprise is in pursuit of the Gorn. And then you have this moment where the Enterprise just stops dead in space. And this moment on the bridge when all the lights go out and then there's this flashing, flashing strobe light coming from the view screen. And the visual effect of that, when you see the Metrons and you hear that voice, uh, we are the Metrons. And I just went like, even as a kid, what is going on here? Uh, you know, Vic Perrin is the voice of the Metron. Uh, he did the control voice in The Outer Limits. Mm-hmm. And I just remember like, you know, even like, you know, like Spock gets up from his station. He's like, even he he's in shock. Like, what is going on here? And like, you know, Kirk is like starting to say something, but he's like at a loss for words until the Metron says, you know, Captain Kirk. And he goes, this is Kirk. Like, there, this is this is what made Star Trek, like, really live up to its promise as an action adventure series, mm. uh, and and doing something that you know Color TV had just really started, and here's this shit, this very serious science fiction show. I think that's something that everyone listening needs to remember, is that nothing like this had ever been done before on television on mm. a weekly basis. It was serious show. I mean, you know, you had the Outer Limits and you had the Twilight Zone, but those were anthology shows. This show was the same characters every week, and it was much more mature, shall we say, than a show like Lost in Space. And it was very grown up. They took the stuff seriously. The actors were very, very committed to their roles. And 
uh, you know, to see an episode like Arena in 1967, and Chris, you just saw it for the first time in 2024. Don't you think, like, wow, this show is still like I wish I could have seen it through your eyes to see that, like, wow, it's 2024. I'm seeing this episode for the first time. That's uh, you know, whatever, 56 years old, 57 years old, and this show, this this is amazing. It is really amazing. It for me, and we'll we'll get there very shortly. Um, it really gave to me uh, the cleverness of Kirk. Like we saw Kirk on the bridge, um, uh, fighting the Romulans, and him being, you know, his cleverness and his tactics on the bridge. But this is a guy trapped on a planet with nowhere else to go. Right. He's got to be resourceful and figure this out. We get to really see Kirk, the fighter, the warrior the intelligent guy trying to work his way through it. That was a treat to me to finally get to see that in action. You know, this is, and this is something that uh, where Steve and I, and actually it was Steve, Steve Morris, my, my co-host on enterprise incidents, where we started to, uh, you know, you know, as, as Brendan knows really well, what we did on enterprise incidents was we treated Star Trek, the original show as a serialized show. Yes. Not just episode by episode by episode, but actually looked at it as an overreaching arc. And it goes back to a line in where no man has gone before. Brendan, do you remember the line? The, it, it, it's a, it's like, what, a stack of books on legs? Bingo, Brendan. You are, mm-hmm. you are, you get the gold star, buddy. Yes. No, I pay uh, attention to your show. <laughs> yeah, yes, you sure did. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> Gary in, Mitchell in his class, you either think or think. Yes, he mm-hmm. said. He, yeah. He, they, they, you know, the uh, uh, all the upperclassmen said, "Look out for Lieutenant Kirk." Uh, he's in his class. You either think or think. He is a stack of books with legs, and there mm-hmm. that established that as much bravado and swagger and uh, action. Uh, you know, Kirk was definitely a man of action, but he was a smart guy. He very. was very smart. And it was because he was a stack of books with legs that he had the intelligence to put together this makeshift cannon out of all the native elements on the planet. Yep. And, yep. you know, I'm sure we'll get to that, Chris, but oh, yeah. getting there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so they, they transport uh, Kirk off of the Enterprise as well as the Gorgon Captain off of his ship. Um, the Metrons talk to Kirk and say that um, the, they don't get to talk to their ship. They do not get to talk with their ship. And where However, did they beam him down? The Vasquez I was Rocks. Ju- I was just going to get to the Vasquez Rocks. Because uh, they are almost a player I'm so excited actor in Star Trek it. history as as much as William Shatner is Kirk. Just sorry, I'm uh-huh. so excited. I'm like, we got to talk about the Vasquez Rocks. I got to say, the first time I ever saw the Vasquez Rocks, I remember it well. It was 1992, and I was watching a little little sequel movie called Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Oh, that wow. is when I was introduced to the Vasquez Rocks for the very uh, first, first time. First time I saw them was Star Trek Four. That's the first oh, time I saw them. Sure, yeah, when uh, Spock is standing at the top yep. uh, taking the test. Yeah. Uh, Vasquez Rocks. Let's talk about Vasquez Rocks. Filming on day two of Arena was the first day of filming at Vasquez Rocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joseph Pepney covered 
34 scenes uh, or nine script pages, and they were back at Desilu Studios by 6 p.m. on this uh, on the second day of filming, which was the first day at Bosque's wow. release. And they were filming on a cold November day. So mm. William Shatner, William Shatner wore thermal long johns under his Starfleet uniform. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no wonder wow. his shirt doesn't get taken off. <laughs> but you know what? It's it's uh it's really amazing how much, you know, Bosque's rocks has really become synonymous with yeah. Star Trek. I mean, you have, I mean, you know, the alternative factor is not a good episode, but mm-hmm. you know, the dramatic Bosque's rocks and uh they filmed uh uh um parts of uh Friday's child i mean you know it's Rocky. it's the o- my understanding it is the only live action location that so far has been used in every single star trek series uh, you, you, if you're making a new star trek show you got to film it Vasquez yeah. Rocks. oh yeah yeah you know you got to write an episode around Vasquez rocks so you can film at Vasquez rocks yeah uh, Absolutely. But uh, yeah, so so Kirk is down there, cannot communicate with the ship. However, the Gorn and him are giving a recording device that transmits to the ships. So the ships can are forced like the Hunger Games. They get to watch, but they don't get to participate. Again, this also reminds me, too, of of, uh, of Porter Spock, uh, Star Trek VI, when, when um, Kirk and McCoy are on trial and all um, Spock can do is sit there and watch, have to watch and try it, to yeah. figure out what to do. Like Star Trek six reminds me of this with arena so much. Oh, oh, sure. And they use this uh, the, uh, a couple times on the original show as well, you know, in the Savage Curtain yeah. when, uh, you know, Kirk and Spock are fighting alongside Sarek and Lincoln. Uh, <laughs> you know, that was uh, what the uh, Excalbians uh, arranged for the enterprise to do. But uh, that, I'm glad you brought that up, uh, you know, Chris, because in early versions of Arena, we never saw the Enterprise after Kirk was taken away. It was actually Gene Roddenberry's idea to alternate between Kirk on the asteroid and Spock on the bridge and also have the crew watching the action on a view screen. Mm. Also, Gene Roddenberry's idea for the translator so that Kirk and the Gorn could communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Kirk tries to talk to the Gorn, but the Gorn gives no initial response. Um, the the Gorn initially fights Kirk, and we find that Kirk physically can't match him. There's no right. way, but he is faster and more agile than the Gorn. Uh, mm-hmm. So he uses that couple of uh, uh, Kirk rolls. Uh, those come yeah. in that uh, all oh, the Kirk rolls. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, but we find out that the Gorn are hunters and they are intelligent as well because the Gorn set up a rope trap for Kirk that he gets caught in and it injures Kirk, slowing him down. He now no longer has agility and speed on his side. So now Kirk's got to figure out what to do. Finally, the Gorn communicates with Kirk and says, hey, let me put you out of your misery. Let me finish this. You're going to die. Why are you going to prolong it? Uh, but Kirk snaps back and he says, you Gorn are butchers. This is an interesting theme that I see, too, where that initial understanding of what a species is when you don't know and how quickly that changes by the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love that, that that Kirk, by the end of this, is swayed. His mind is changed. And think about it, though. If we put it into perspective, granted, it's flipped. In Strange New Worlds, George Kirk right now is captured by the Gorn. 
it's going to be interesting to see how that affects oh, Sam. Yeah. The young, or sorry, Sam Kirk. Sam Kirk. Yeah, Sam, uh, Kirk. Sam Kirk. I know his name is George Samuel Kirk. It is. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway, uh, but I think it's going to be interesting to see how that influences and what happens again, season three, what's going to happen, but what that influences for, for Jim Kirk down the line, knowing what they may or may not have done to his brother. Well, I'm just curious how they, you know, and again, you know, the, you know, they might not even try to do this, mm-hmm. but you know, when arena, this, the, the story of arena is, you know, the Federation is encountering the Gorn for the first time, but strange new worlds takes place before the original series. So, so does something happen to sort of uh, wipe the Gorn's existence out of the Federation's computer banks? So, you know, Kirk, maybe it's the Metrons uh, again. I don't know. Something's got to yeah. happen, or or you know what? Maybe nothing happens, and it's like, all right, you know, this is what I was talking about at the top of the show here. Yeah. Okay, you know, you got to let things. You can't stick to canon too much. You know, you got to have some flexibility here. Yeah. So being fun. And that's fine. That's absolutely fine. A lot has changed over time. I can think of tons of conversations. Uh, I, thinking back to the Romulans, there were things they said in there that does not fit any timeline when you go into next generation. It doesn't right. work. Right. So, but we just accept that. We just move on that, you know what, when they were writing the original series, I'm sure the idea of continuity and continuing this into some long term was never on anyone's mind. So right there, right. There's no way that you know they're 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 making these episodes in the '60s, thinking of just how much uh, you know people like us are going to scrutinize every little thing, every little move, every and little a bunch of nerds uh, in the future sitting around talking about Star Trek. Around, and now they also probably didn't think that uh, you know we'd be watching the original series in high definition. Um, which looks beautiful, I have to say, in high definition. But, but I have to. But at the same time, you know, and this is something else, Chris and, and Brandon, is that again, nothing like Star Trek had ever been done before, mm-hmm. and all of the world building that went into into the original series with with the Enterprise crew and the Federation, and then the Romulans and the Klingons, and and that that whole dynamic, that 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 was something that despite some changes over the last 57 years is still very much uh, a staple of Star Trek. So mm-hmm. they got a whole lot right when they started doing this because now mm-hmm. it's changed. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, so Kirk, you know, Kirk calls him a, a, a butcher, um, but the aliens defends their attack on Cestus three saying that it was built in what they consider Gorn technology or Gorn space and the Federation, by the way, first time in the series that the Federation is referred to as the Federation. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but they believed that the, the Federation were encroaching on their territory and this was a predilection to a full-scale invasion and all-age war. So they're defending themselves. Yep. They believe that this was the issue. Uh, so trying to stay ahead of the Gorn, Kirk is, is kind of wandering around trying to gather himself. And he keeps coming across uh, different colored minerals and stuff. And he realizes what each of these are. Oh, okay. As he goes along, he's inspired going, wait a second. They gave us all the materials we need to fight. And it comes to his brain. Wait a second. I can create an explosive here. 
I know what I have. And what's funny, we go back to the ship. They're watching, like, what's he doing? And they quickly realize what Kirk is going to do as well. Yeah, yeah. They they're, know all, what they're, they're all, they're all, you know, putting it together on the bridge. Kirk going, is like, yes, ah. yes. Yeah, he's like, good, good. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. he creates a makeshift uh, weapon using chunks of diamonds. Pretty clever choice. Uh, chunks of diamonds. Uh, bamboo that I went, come on, but okay. So bamboo, mm. uh, tying it together and then different, um, different chemicals and elements that he found in the rocks that could be used to make black powder. Basically a makeshift more cannon. That's what he's doing. So, um, Kirk completes the assembly as the Gorn arrives. He fires it and severely wounds the Gorn. Uh, Kirk gets ready to do the final blow and he really all of a sudden in a moment really starts to think about the claims that it was all self-defense. This wasn't uh, this wasn't aggressively aggressive. This was defense. And he allows the Gorn to live. Right, right. Then, that, moment, that moment he's got the sharp uh, I guess knife whatever of the shaped object. Obsidian, I think. Uh, the crystal I guess because it doesn't really look like a rock. Um He's got the sharp point on its heart, what he thinks it's its heart anyway. Uh, and then he says, no, I won't kill you. He says, after all that, I mean, Kirk by this point is so physically exhausted because he, he you know, he's running away from the Gorn until he started to put the cannon together. Mm -hmm. And he says, and, and, you know, he doesn't know about the conversation that Spock and McCoy had on the Enterprise. Where Spock and McCoy are like, you know, maybe they were defending themselves, maybe we were in the wrong. And there's Kirk and all by himself on the asteroid says, no, I won't kill you. You know, maybe you were just defending yourself. And then he's like shouting out, no, I won't kill him. You hear? Mm -hmm. You have to get your entertainment someplace else. He realized that he's being played. And there in the flesh, finally, we see the Metron who is played by a woman. Carol mm. Schultz is the, is the Metron. Um, it was the second time in Star Trek up to this point that they used a woman to play an alien dubbing in a man's voice after the keeper, the Telosian, in the cage. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but, but just, again, like this massive technological uh, uh, advanced race mm -hmm. that the Enterprise encountered many times in its three-year you know, run mm -hmm. that was way more powerful than them. You know, uh, you know what you do are Ganians, the the uh, the Thasians, um, mm -hmm. you know, so so many times that they uh, uh Trelane. yeah, sure, yeah, Trelane, Trelane, yeah, yeah. Trelane. Gatos, yeah, uh, you know that, that, and that's the thing is, uh, uh, you know, they're better. You know, Kirk is like, you know. Uh, get, getting very uh, uh, confident, cocky, even uh, throwing around the uh, power of the Enterprise in the arena, only to be stopped by this uh, technologically advanced uh, species. And then it appears and it's a, you know, looks like a, like, you know, just not a big bulky, you know, thing at all. It's not the, it's, it's a, it's, it's quite a beautiful looking species the metro angelic looking mm -hmm. creature yeah. yes angelic is the great word brennan yes so i have to mention the work here uh before he disappears 
uh, the work of a, a really important Star Trek actor in the first season that I didn't know it was him. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Ted Cassidy, who was one yes. of four people to work on the Gorn. Uh, but if you don't know who he is, I'll go into his Star Trek credits. Uh, if you're familiar with the original Adams family, he was the original Lurch, Lurch. in the yeah. Adams family. Uh, and did many, many, many other things. But uh, in Star Trek, this was his final appearance in Star Trek. But he was um, the character of Rook in What Little Girls Are Made Of. Um, he's the voice of the Balak puppet in Corbinite Maneuver. And then, yeah. of course, he's the Gorn, uh, one of the many actors, again, four actors to play the Gorn. Uh, but he's six foot nine. So, yeah, we want him. <laughs> and he's a very distinct looking man. Very mm-hmm. interesting. Yes. I, and so, I guess it's funny you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, what a little girl's made of, uh, because when when we were doing our episode by episode deep dive on Enterprise incidents, that was one of the episodes. I mean, there are actually quite a few, but that was definitely one of the episodes that that the our scene by scene breakdown made me see that episode in a whole new light, and uh, I I grew to love it more than I ever did because of our deep dive conversation I mean, was. I mean, that, I like it because I have a crush on the actress because she's really cute. <laughs> Cherry Jackson. I mean, Oscar. my word. Ooh. My word. But that episode, what a little girl's made of. It's it basically it's Blade Runner. Yeah. Uh, good point. Good point. Yep, mm-hmm. it was Blade Runner before Philip K. Dick even wrote uh, Android's yeah. Electric Sheep. Yeah. Um, you know, there's even that moment when uh, you know Kirk is hanging on the cliff there. And Ruck picks him up and saves him at the last minute, just the way oh, back. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Just baddie baddie. yeah. Exactly. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, before we go on to the finale of this episode, I'm gonna I have to address the canon. What's, I have what's, to address what's wrong with the canon, you know? So don't trust so Scott. Don't trust Mythbusters. I I love mm-hmm. Mythbusters passionately, and the Mythbusters oh. tested this. Yes. And even I watching it, if I hadn't known, I might have been skeptical of this working. I, I I know it's a little science fiction, and for story purposes, this shows his cleverness, his ingenuity, his ability to survive. I understand all that. But the realist in my mind goes, there's no way that thing would work. <laughs> and Mythbusters it's, it's, proved it's alien, it wouldn't it's work. It's alien bamboo. It's not real bamboo. See, this is where this is the part of the conversation where I go get a life. <laughs> it's just the show. I get know, your, I know, channeling. Scott. Listen, but here's this is my thing Scott about challenging channeling his inner <laughs> William Shatner. I am. <laughs> this is my thing about Star Trek, and one of the things that I respect about Star Trek is that overall. Even the science fiction things, they're so much rooted in real theory and sure. real science. Yeah, and right. I love that. Real developments in real life. It's true, absolutely. So when I see things that clearly, I go, "Wait a second, come on!" Like you're 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 predicting handheld communications, wireless communications. You're predicting uh, iPads. You're predicting. Uh, a faster than light travel impulse engines, which we now have base technology for. Like, there's so much we can do now, thanks to Star Trek's inspiration. What the zoom? And you're going to use a bamboo cannon? That well, what? <laughs> okay, so so 
one thing about it's, it's alien bamboo. It, well, there you go. Maybe the bamboo. If, maybe. Up. Maybe. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> hey, I get the whole Mythbusters thing. Uh, but at the same time, you know, uh, Kirk saves the day, you know. Uh, and also, look, um, Rod, Rodbury from the beginning was really, really smart about trying to predict the future in the right way. Mm-hmm. And the producers of Star Trek and the writers consulted with the Rand Corporation when they were making these episodes about what was, you know, yes, it's science fiction, but let's really try to stick to what's plausible here. Let's really try to stay closer to the science part of it than the fiction part of it. And in a lot of ways they did, except in the case of the canon, I get it. The Mythbusters (laughs) proved Kirk wrong, you know, hope you're happy Mythbusters, but that hurt a little bit. (laughs) We're watching this episode and, you know, Kirk is down to his last breath and he's a, really in a race against time, a race against time, which is something that's the original Star Trek did so well, the race against time. Remember those? Oh, last yeah. in the Dunes yeah. So here you have these last moments and, you know, Kirk, is, you know, the Gorn is, is within sight. He's walking closer and uh, he's trying to, to, to light the fuse, so to speak. And then boom, the Gorn goes down and then Kirk is triumphant. He's about to stab the guy and finish him off. And this is where it's where, where this gets a little interesting here. So in in June, Gene Kuhn's original script, one of the earlier versions of his script, you know, there was dialogue that never made air. And the dialogue, uh, in that dialogue, the Metron admits that they had planned to destroy the ship of the winner as well. But Mm-hmm. Uh, because they they thought that that race would present eventually a threat to them, the Metrons. Mm-hmm. So they were going to yeah. they were going to get rid of the uh, the loser, but they were also going to get rid of the winner, so that uh, you know in the end the Metrons would be okay. But they didn't do that because Kirk displayed compassion. And actually, if you read the uh, adaptation of Arena in Star Trek Two which is the James Blish adaptation, then that's where you'll see the dialogue that uh, the Metrons were going to, they were going to destroy the Enterprise as well, but they didn't because of Kirk's compassion. And and for all of the, uh, the thing about this ending that I love, for all of the bad things that we do as a species, it's our ability to be compassionate. Mm -hmm. It's our ability to be kind, to be friendly. And in fact, I would say there are more good people who make good decisions than there are bad people who make bad decisions. Right. And that is our strength as species. And that's, I think that's something that Gene Kuhn really, really uh, connected with yeah. in, in a lot of the episodes that he did. It's really is a quintessential Gene Kuhn episode uh, because like Kirk stubbornly, he's stubborn in his head with wanting to destroy the antagonist spock on the other hand wants to try to preserve it you know uh you know he's trying to talk kirk out of the pursuit in arena he is tries to talk kirk out of killing the gorn uh, the uh the horda in devil in the dark and he's uh you know trying to convince kirk to communicate more with the with the companion and metamorphosis like we could learn so much from this and kirk is like 
now's not the time. Uh, so, so these are definitely traits that Kuhn has put into a lot of his episodes. And also the thing about arena is, so if there's something we don't understand, something, whether it looks different, really different, we fear it. And this is where Star Trek, most of the, look, 79 episodes or 80, if you include the cage and most of them really hold up and are so relevant to what's happening today. And Arena mm-hmm. is one of them. We don't understand something, so we fear it. And then we realize what's really at stake. We, we react with compassion and understanding and communication. And it flips the episode over. Compassion and understanding and communication would solve so many problems today. I know that's really simplifying it all. But, you know, that's uh, what Star Trek did in one single episode was compassion, communication, and you just go, wow, I mean, you strip away everything else and it really does uh, make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, and as you mentioned, uh, Kirk Kirk showing mercy to the Gorn intrigues the Metrons. Metrons give him one last chance. Hey, you won. I'll destroy their ship right now. Kirk says, no, don't do that. All right. And their quote, though, is very interesting. You're still half savage, but there's hope. I love that. And it, it reminds me, too, of, again, referencing back to TNG, uh, that first encounter with Q. Yeah. When uh, uh, encounter at Farpoint, where Q is telling him, kill it, kill it, you know, kill the, the creature. He's like, shut up, go away. Uh, mm-hmm. And Q tells him, hey, you showed some potential right there. You could have fought it. You didn't. We'll be watching you. That's what it felt like here. The Metrons definitely are doing to Kirk what Q did to to uh to uh the, the Enterprise D. And as, um, as we learned in Next Gen, the trial never ends. The trial mm-hmm. never ends. Maybe the Metrons were early Q. We don't know. Yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely Trollane was. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh yeah, so uh I, we, I, we've talked about what we like about that. In, in general, I will say this as my first time. Despite, yes, the suit's made of rubber. It did not age well. Yes, my issues with the ro- with, with the, the rocket cannon. I love the character uh, presentation of Kirk. Yeah. I love this. Mm-hmm. It really shows him to be the kind of leader that I would want and why I understand more now why Kirk is the man. Why Kirk is always in the argument for best captain. Always. Mm-hmm. This is evidence. This is this is evidence also because, you know, Kirk has a his his reputation is that he's a man of action. He shoots first and asks questions later. And then you watch an episode like this and you realize, actually, that is not accurate. Uh, he is absolutely a man of compassion and he is not, you know, he he's looking to defend himself and defend the Federation to defend the Enterprise. But in the end, you know, he's. In many, to many cases, look at Charlie X at the end of the episode. He's like, the boy deserves to stay with his own kind. He should stay with us. Look at the, uh, you know, look at it, Balance of Terror. He's like, you know, I'm not going to mm-hmm. kill you, Romulan Commander. Just come on the Enterprise. At the end of Arena, he's like, no, I'm not going to kill you, Gorn. Like, Kirk's reputation as, an, as a man of action uh, is uh, not accurate. Uh, it's, it's, an easy, it's an easy thing to say about him because, you know, Shatner played him with such a swagger and bravado. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always said that that Captain Kirk is a, a, a commander who I would follow into an active volcano. 
and yeah. his his uh his character you know his uh uh in, in this episode like just how he handled himself uh and his ultimate conclusion and his ultimate action is a great reason why mm-hmm. uh yeah I, I, oh, we've said it go ahead and by the way he speaks nine. Trials and Tribulations makes a great reference for this episode. Oh, I Captain, what does Captain Zisco want to ask Kirk about? Fighting oh, the Gorn. Yeah, the Gorn on Cestus 3. That's so right. That's what uh, he wanted to ask him it about. It connects yeah. a little further, sir, because our good friend Cassidy Yates was born on Cestus 3. Uh-huh. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cestus 3. See, look, there's a reason why this episode has. Has uh, you know, it's kind of like you know the way Mirror Mirror inspired so many like uh, uh, Mirror Universe episodes on Deep Space Nine and on Enterprise, and there are so many references to the Gorn and the Cestus Three and like Trials mm-hmm. and Tribulations and it's Strange New Worlds because it's great because it's a classic. It's Star Trek at its best. Yeah, this this Very is well this is classic Star Trek viewing. An absolute necessary recommendation for yeah, anyone coming watch. into Star Trek. Yes, watch. it's great. You know, people people always say like, oh, well, you know, because I get asked this a lot over the years. Uh, mm-hmm. What are the top five episodes you would you would want to show people to uh, to Star Trek to really like, you know, show them like like this is what the show is great. Like this is this is the best of the best. And I do say Balance of Terror. I say Doomsday Machine, Mirror Mirror, uh, Sitting on the Edge Forever, of course. And also, I, you know, I throw in a mock time because of the friendship between mm-hmm. Kirk and mm-hmm. but, Arena is a quintessential and essential episode of Star Trek that displays everything that Gene Roddenberry had in mind when he created the show, an action adventure series with something to say. And there's something to say about about communication and compassion and, and you know, mercy uh, and is is universal again it's something that applies very very much to today and you know all of the characters uh are are just at the top of their game you know sulu's in command of the enterprise and and uh oh you, yeah <laughs> you've got the you've got the dynamic between spock and mccoy on the bridge you know mccoy questioning everything spock is doing and you know spock like approving every move that kirk makes uh it's it's and and again the pacing is great. It, it moves along very very quick. I mean it's not a dull moment in the episode. It uh, it's it's as good as it gets. And yeah. uh, you know Gene Coon when he wrote it, uh, you know he got the screenplay credit, but they actually had to give a story by credit to a writer named Frederick Brown because Frederick Brown, who was a sci fi writer, uh, when they were when the producers were were moving forward with doing Arena, uh, the uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, standards and practices people at uh, NBC said, "Wait a minute, the the script has something in common with this Frederick Brown story. Is uh, is he aware of that?" And Gene Kuhn had never read it. Uh, he said it was just a coincidence, but there were too many similarities. Uh, so to avoid any uh, any problems, they gave this guy Frederick Brown a story by credit. And, uh, you know, any potential problems went away. But regardless, yeah. uh, I think Arena is a quintessential episode of Star Trek, a perfect episode of Star Trek, one of the very best episodes of Star Trek across all 50, now going into 58 years of Star Trek. It is, it is 
excellent. And I did rewatch it about an hour ago before yeah. I got this uh, uh, call with you guys because I'm just like, oh, I mean, I was like, oh, I've seen it a million times. I, you know, I know what I'm talking about. But I watched it again and I was like, damn, that's a great episode. <laughs> yeah. I don't think uh, I could have said it any better myself. So those absolutely. are my final thoughts as well. Yeah, I loved it. Enjoyed it. All right. Well, as always, we want to thank Scott Mance, president of the Federation, for coming in and enlightening us on a lot of the history and uh, helping us bounce off some great ideas for Arena and just how great an episode it is. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for having me. It is really great uh, to talk with you. I feel like uh, uh, we're we're you know just just singing the praises of Star Trek and and certainly uh, makes me uh, you know Steve and I Steve Morris and I did Enterprise Incidents for about two and a half years and. Uh, doing that podcast with him, Enterprise Incidents with Scott and Steve, is one of the things that I'm absolutely most proud of uh, in yeah. my, my life. And, that and you and Steve have been our favorite guests on the show. Oh, yes. Oh, great. Yeah, Steve's my buddy. I just saw him about uh, uh, three weeks ago. Um, you know, I, I miss doing Enterprise Incidents with him. Uh, yeah, I miss you know, that show. What we did with the original series and you know the animated series too. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Was, was special. And that's all there. It's on, you know, Apple Podcasts. Check out Enterprise Incidents with Scott and Steve. Uh it is uh if you've never even if you have uh you know listened to episode by episode deep dives, uh you've never heard him like this. And we've mm-hmm. had some you know. yes. And that's how I knew who directed this episode because I remember what you guys had said. <laughs> Yep, there you go. And I know it's really tough. I mean, what are we approaching? Close to a thousand overall Star Trek episodes. Like, I couldn't imagine, Scott, you doing a thousand episodes of Enterprise. I know, I know. (laughs) I I mean, I do want to, you know, figure out a way to do a a version of Enterprise Incidents, the next generation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, certainly me and Chris grew up on the next gen, so if you need guests. Yeah, no, I, 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 you know, I I just got to find the, you know, figure out. that's my selfish sales pitch. Uh, the, you're <laughs> on. If I if if I end up doing a, a you know a, a next gen version of Enterprise Incidents, you know consider you consider yourselves booked. Yes. Okay. Yay. Well, mm-hmm. it's funny you say that because my, it's time to hit the randomizer so we can preview next week's uh, episode, and it is next generation. Uh, let's so it's one of the better ones. <laughs> let's hit the randomizer. All right, hitting the randomizer. Oh, it loves me. Season six, episodes ten and eleven. Shade oh, of command. Of command. Oh, oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. oh, oh nights. You yes, guys, guys, I, I have just got done reading Patrick Stewart's memoirs. Yes. And he talks about working with David Warner and his history oh, and how David he Warner. idolized David, David Warner. Warner. So cannot wait for this. And Brennan, if you remember, I am the only human in Starfleet history that loves Captain Jellico. I will fight for that man all day long. You know, uh, Ronnie no Cox, comment. great job. He did a really great job with Jellico. Yeah, Ron, he, he did a good job. He did. Yeah, yeah. We, we did it We for Christmas, not last year, but the year before. We did a, a draft where we created our ideal crew. And my captain is Jellico. And everyone was like, why are you doing that? He's going to cause chaos. I'm like, no, you just don't understand him. He's different. He's different. He's not wrong. Maybe he's got flaws. What out of our captains don't? They have flaws. Right. Jellico, I'll fight Jellico for Jellico all day long. Now, when he became an admiral and I saw him in uh, 
what was it? Uh, Prodigy. It's a little, or not, yeah, it was Prodigy. Yeah, it's he's, Prodigy. Bit, he's an admiral. He's a little jerky in, in Prodigy, but at least I'm glad he's there. Well, I'm glad we get to do a, an episode with one of my favorite actors, David Warner. Yes. Oh, not like his, David uh, Warner. Uh, yep. Fresh off, fresh off of Star Trek Six. Yeah. Uh, so yep. a five and six. Listen, five yeah. and six. Five and six. Don't forget five. <laughs> oh, but Saint this John is what you want to. <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to. Uh, you know what? No, I don't want to forget five because realistically, I'm hopeful that in season three we get more with the Cybok reveal that we got in season one of of Strange New Worlds. Yeah, that's true. I want a little that's more true. because I think Cybok's a great character. Well, I think we're going to get some Cybok in uh, this next season. Yeah, they Lawrence looking Bill. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. But yes. All right. Uh, Scott, got anything to plug? Well, just, you know, check me out on, uh, on you know, X, you know, formerly Twitter and yes. uh, Instagram at Movie Mance. Uh, you can follow me there. And uh, for everyone listening, again, if you have never heard our podcast, my, my podcast with Steve, it's called Enterprise Incidents with Scott and Steve. And it's on Apple Podcasts. It's one on- of the best podcasts I've ever listened to. Like two, uh, no joke, like an hour and a half to two hours, sometimes more, sometimes more, but it's worth it, guys. It really is great to hear these deep dive details. And it's why we like to have uh, both of you on because you have this depth of knowledge that really helps add con- context. Well, mm-hmm. uh, yes. Yeah, so, so that's the thing I would plug, uh, you know, here uh, on Random Trek is check out Enterprise Incidents with Scott and Steve. Uh, if you know, all just listen to just one episode, and I promise you'll be hooked. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, Br- Brennan. Where can the people find uh, you? You can find me on the the website, formerly known as Twitter. Running mystical. You can find me on Facebook on Blue Sky. Running more Instagram and threads at Running Blue. Follow this podcast under the banner page turners. They were not on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, follow me hanging out here with with these awesome guys. <laughs> I got one of my coworkers to start listening to our podcast. I told her mm. I do a podcast, and it was like she's like, "Yeah, I like it. It's like thirty minutes to an hour. It's perfect." Wait till I get her into Enterprise Incidents. Anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, right on. That's what I want to hear. You can find me on Twitch and Twitter at Ingle 1984 But as always, we end every episode. Kapla! And live long and prosper. Keep Peace. going boldly. Peace and long life.